All right, welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds Podcast. I'm Richie, I'll be your host for today. Joining me as always is Matt. Today is Sunday, May 16th, and we have a great episode for you today. We will be going over injuries, we will be playing the rankings games, and we will finally be going over prospects who are hot and cold in the minors. Let's bring in our co-host, Matt. How are you doing today? What is going on, everybody? Very excited that Minor League Baseball is back. Uh, It's been a long time. I'm very excited to go over all the stats, over all the breakouts. Had a very interesting first couple weeks so far. Yeah, I will say it's a little bit of overload with all the different levels, low, high, double, and triple A. It's a lot to digest, so we'll kind of just take away some of the highlights and tell you guys what you need to know. But let's first start with our icebreaker. Since minor leagues are back, our icebreaker today is what's the one prospect you've picked up before reaching the majors that has had the most impact on your season? This is a hard one for both of us, I think. We you know, oftentimes uh, jump on the prospects early right or we kind of grab them right as they're about to break out so this is a tough one but i think i'm actually going to go with bryce harper is probably going to be my choice since i did take him early in our dynasty league he played for on my team for years he was a part of a few of my championship teams the other second one that was kind of like in the running was chris bryant his rookie year um, i actually traded him for jacob Degrom, knowing i couldn't keep him which led to a championship that was probably about four or five years ago. What about you, Richie? Yeah, I think the one for me has got to be Ronald Acuna. I picked him up at the end of the year, um, thinking he'd come up in August or September. He didn't. Um, and then preseason, he was getting all the hype. So I decided to keep him, even though you're trying to convince me he wasn't worth it. That was at the time we could only keep six players, and you were trying to tell me he's not worth it. And uh, actually... Trusted my gut and kept him, and then it's worked out for me ever since. I don't know why you kept him. He's clearly not worth <laughs> keeping. He's he's definitely not, you know, an above average replacement player. I think you should just drop him. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> All right, let's get into some injuries. I think the biggest one here is Corey Seager got hit on the hand by a pitch, broke his hand, and he will be out for four to we- four weeks. Um, doesn't look like he's going to need surgery. But what's your biggest takeaway here from this, Matt? Another injury to this Dodgers team, right? They lose Dustin May. They have had to- Tony Gonsolin on the shelf most of the season. David Price is down to lose Corey Seager with Cody Bellinger already being out. This team is just riddled with injuries. And, yes, they have the depth to kind of, like, you know, stay, fl- stay afloat. But that depth is quickly being thinned out. Michael Bush, who we'll talk about a little bit later, may get the call up. We'll see. Four weeks is a long time. Yeah, and we've already seen DJ Peters come up uh, briefly. I think he's had 12 at-bats. He had a single last night that brought in two, and he got too excited, rounded first, tried to go for second, ended up getting out. But (laughs) um, it'll be interesting because there's a lot of these young guys that the Dodgers have, but they just keep re-signing the veterans like – um, Justin Turner and Edwin Rios didn't get a real chance to prove himself. Um, but we'll see how it plays out. Um, they'll probably move Gavin Lux or Chris Taylor to shortstop, and maybe we'll see uh, some more of Sheldon Noyce. But moving along, I'll go through some other injuries. Luke Weaver was pulled from today's start with right shoulder inflammation. Max Kepler left today's game after tweaking his hamstring. Jeff McNeil and Michael Conforto both have hamstring tightness. Ronald Acuna um, tweaked his ankle a couple days ago. He's been out, but he did pinch hit today. So we'll see how that goes. 
Jose Urquidy was placed on the IL with shoulder inflammation. Aaron Hicks was placed on the IL, and there's rumors that he may miss the rest of the season, but that is yet to be determined. And JT Real Muto now has left wrist soreness and has missed the last two starts. What are your takeaways, if any, from all of those updates I just gave you, Matt? I feel like for the most part, those are going to be uh, you know week, week and a half injuries. We're talking about the hamstrings here. They'll be back sooner than later. I think a big one that I want to touch on is Zach Gallen having that UCL strain. Uh, word out of Arizona is that it will not require Tommy John, and they are going to try a rest and rehab approach with him. Second report out of Arizona was that they think they caught it at a very, very early stage, so there may not have been very much damage to the UCL. I'm assuming what happened with Gallon is he came back from that fractured forearm on the outer portion of his forearm and probably utilized his UCL to strengthen and slash, you know, pitch to the performance he wanted to before he was fully healthy, and it damaged the arm. I'm hoping that they don't rush him back. I also hope that this will not lead to Tommy John either later this season or possibly next season. But anytime you have damage to the UCL, it's very concerning. It's usually 99% of the time going to require Tommy John. And if not, as we saw from Masahiro Tanaka, the player never really returns to that dominant form. So what are your thoughts on Gallon and kind of what are your expectations? Yeah, the, this Gallon injury, I'm torn between it reminding me of Tyler Glass now during his breakout season when he had that forearm tightness and they held him out for, what was it, two, three months. And he came back and he was fine. Um, but everybody was nervous, anxious, and he looks okay. But, I mean, now he's got the injury tag that's just, would you say he's a glass house instead of a glass now? <laughs> yeah, glass house. Um, but it also, I'm torn because it also reminds me of Denelson Lamette a little bit. And I truly think that guy just needs to have Tommy John. If I'm the Zach Allen owner, as you've mentioned off the podcast, is be trying to move him um, before any reports of Tommy John even come to light. Yeah, and you break a great point. I mean, Glasnow definitely did come back. I remember the start he left with forearm tightness. I was living in L.A., and I was actually at a bar downtown just kind of watching baseball. And he comes out of the game, and, you know, I'm thinking, okay, that's it. He's going to have Tommy John. I think that would have been his second Tommy John. But we've seen Glasnow now over the last couple of years prove to have come through that injury. You know, he throws hard, has a little bit more violent of a release, and, like, it hasn't been an issue. So there is a chance that... Gallon can come back from this. It's just always very concerning when you hear UCL. Absolutely. And uh, out of the other injuries that I mentioned, the other one that sticks out to me is Jose Urquidy um, being on the aisle with shoulder inflammation. Hopefully it's nothing too serious. Um, but what I'd look out for is Luis Garcia. Um, he's come up and pitched pretty good for the most part um, in replacing Urquidy. It'll be interesting to see what he does with that extended look um, while your quiddies on the shelf. But let's move on. Um, we will be going over our rankings game. So last time we played this, I had no idea we were doing this, and I did okay for the most part, um, but now it's Matt's turn. So I put together some hints for you. Um, I think a lot of them are pretty easy, and you should be able to get all of them. So uh, are you ready for this, Matt? Let's do it. All right, for catcher. Um, well, before we get started, I want to say this is in our standard scoring uh, for our Dynasty League. So there's no penalties for walks, and this is head-to-head -head points. So having said that, um, this player had Tommy John in the past five years. 
I'm going to go with Salvador Perez. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you are correct. Um, all right, let's move on to first base. Um, I stole this one from you <laughs> <laughs> because it has not changed, and I think uh, most of the listeners, if you pay attention to fantasy baseball, you know that this guy has been on fire, but his dad played for the Orioles at the tail end of his career. Who is he? Yes, this one is easy. This is Vladdy Jr. Yeah, he's blowing it away. He's got 20 more points uh, compared to the next person. So every time we play this, we'll have to come up with a, a new hint or something. All right, moving on to second base. This one's a little harder. This player used to play for the A's, and then he changed teams and broke out and became fantasy relevant. Ooh, second base. Yeah, you might stump me on this one. I'm going to have to take like 10 seconds to just think here. Okay, so used to play for the A's, transition to a different team. So I don't know if he got traded or dropped. I think he got dropped and then signed as a free agent. Oh, this is easy. Okay, this yeah, this cleared it up very quickly. Max Muncy. Ding 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 ding. Yes. Um, I couldn't. I didn't want to put in the notes because I couldn't remember if he was traded or if he was. I feel like very few people will remember that Muncy was an A, but that was a fantastic pickup by the Dodgers. Yeah worked out well for them i think they had another person like that too anyway so let's move on to third base you picked this player up when they first got called up to the majors so i am going to assume i had previously mentioned this player in this podcast i'm also going to assume that they no longer play third base predominantly i'm assuming they play in the outfield so i'm going to take a guess that it is chris bryant ding 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 that is correct the second place is rafael devers by 11 points behind and i tried to stump you because you have devers yes but technically i had him when he came up so i was trying to possibly stump you and since he's on your team and he's been on fire i thought that might have thrown you off a little bit it was close but i i when i like heard the hint i had to really think about it and i know that you know the lineage of our players so it had to be brian all right moving on shortstop this player was recently traded in our dynasty league oh okay um, I'm going to go with Xander Bogarts. Ding, 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 ding. That was the easy one. Yeah, he wasn't before. I believe it was Bo Bichette, but he is he exploded a fire week. week. Yeah. yeah, and he, I think, went from, like, fourth or fifth to first. So this is one where I think it will be changing quite drastically. So for outfield, um, I mean, there's one player who's been blowing out of the water and doesn't really come close. So I'm going to go with the top three. Um, so this first one should be easy because it was a conversation we had earlier today. This player was struck out today by three Devin Williams change-ups. Oh, well, this is easy. I texted you about this. Uh, this is this is Ronald Acuna, which, ding, by ding, the ding, way, ding. the Brewers game today was absolute madness. We had errors all over the place. We had, you know, score changes. Jackie Bradley Jr. stealing uh, Ozzy Albert hit again it was it was crazy no i think i turned it on in the seventh inning to watch the brewers um bobble away two double plays and then for freddie freeman to go ahead and hit a grand slam which we should have been out of the inning like five minutes earlier and i'm freaking out because one of our league mates has freeman and i just watch his scores hoping he loses every week and that had put (laughs) him up by a point so i'm super pissed Totally negating the fact that me and you who share a team have Freddie Freeman and which also catapulted us into the lead. Didn't care about that at all. But yeah, that game was that game was wild. And those three changeups that Williams threw Acuna 
I think he had um, worked the count to 2-0. And I think Devin then threw the first changeup and then finished it off with two more. It was beautiful. I mean, Williams, when he's throwing his best pitch, that guy's a monster. All right, so since that was a fairly easy one, we're going to move on to the second and third. So technically Chris Bryan is the second, but since we talked about him at third base, we're going to move on to technically the third and fourth, but according to ESPN, they're ranked as second and third. So your hint is this player had three surgeries to fix a ruptured testicle. I really wanted to throw out a name from our high school years with with a kid who also ruptured his testicle, but um, I don't want to throw shade at anybody. (laughs) So (laughs) You'll have to tell me offline because I can't think of who it is. (laughs) Dude, it's a gnarly story. Um, Like flipped over his bike handles and it like ripped open his sack. Really disgusting. But from a major league perspective, this is very easy. This is Mitch Haniger. Correct. I think you're. I don't think you've gotten anyone wrong yet. I almost stumped you on the Muncie one. But mm-hmm. all right, so let's move to the next one. Hopefully, this one uh, you might you might get this one. This player has played for three teams in the majors, and they all were in the AL or NL Central. Okay, you may get me on this one, but I'm gonna go ahead and shoot for the moon. I'm going to say Nick Castellanos. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. I should have just, yeah. I wanted to make a hard one, but. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on to starting pitcher. This one's an easy one. This player used to play for the Pirates. Oh, gosh. I don't know. Um, Hmm. That's so hard. (laughs) Garakol. That is correct. Um He's got a substantial lead. Trevor Bowers next and Shane Bieber following. So let's move on to relief pitcher. So last time we talked, it was Freddie Peralta. So we have a changing of the guard. Your hint is I have a Topps Auto rookie card out of 75 for this player. Okay, so this one is a challenge because I have absolutely zero idea of which Topps rookie cards you have. (laughs) Um, but knowing when we started getting into kind of buying and selling baseball cards, I'm going to have to take more of a um, short-term, like, relevant approach to this. I'm going to say Reyes from the Cardinals. Ding, 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 wow, ding. That is I didn't correct. think I was going to get that one. I, I thought that was going to be an easy one for you to, to figure out because there's not many relievers who I would have a rookie card for. So when you were asking me about who grades the baseball cards, you were thinking, okay, I need to send this in and get it graded. Is that what you were? No, 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 because I have another uh, out of 75 rookie auto, and I thought it was Reyes, and I ran downstairs to check, but it's Victor Robles that I have graded at like a 9.5 out of 10, and I thought it was Reyes that I had graded, so I'm Kind of hey, bulk. I mean, maybe in the next you know decade, Reyes will finally figure out how to play baseball. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Let's move along to hot and cold prospects. We'll have to come up with uh, a tagline for when we're talking about prospects. But in the meantime, we'll just talk about hot and cold. So, Matt, you, I know you've compiled the list for us and for the listeners today. So let's go over maybe three or four, um, you give some statistics and then we'll give our general feels about these players. Yeah, so we have a big list. Let's start off with the major league and fantasy relevant players that we expect to see this year. That's going to be Videl Brujan, Wander Franco, Alex Manoa. Um, just real quickly, we'll start off with Manoa from the Blue Jays organization. He was drafted out of West Virginia, so he definitely has the college pedigree 
and he is just torching the minor leagues right now. He's playing in AAA, so a little bit higher competition. So far in two games, he has two wins. He has pitched 12 innings, and he has 17 strikeouts. Pretty incredible performance so far. This guy I expect for the Blue Jays to call up you know, sooner than later. And I expect him to be a five or six inning guy in that rotation. Throws really hard, has a slider, has a pretty nice changeup. And I think when he goes into that rotation, you're going to see him provide immediate impact. And that offense has been pretty good so far. And then moving along, Wander Franco this season has been playing as expected. He's hitting 293. When I've watched a few of his games, he's definitely swinging for power more. I think he thinks if he hits home runs, they'll call him up. But I, I don't think if he hit 1,000, they would call him up yet. <laughs> They're going to sit on him for a little bit. Three home runs. He's got a triple, two doubles. He's played in 10 games. His OPS is at 971. That is also at AAA. And then kind of finishing it off is Videl Brujan, also for the Rays, also at AAA Durham, which if you have seen any of the highlights from these minor leaguers for the Rays in AAA, their Durham stadium is actually better than their major league stadium. It's kind of disappointing. But Brujan in 11 games has five home runs. Brujan, always known for his speed and contact first, has finally showing the power. We'll see if that translates. Uh, Urias of the Brewers had this a few years ago. If you remember in AAA, hit a lot of home runs. So I don't want people to get too excited, but that speed is still there. He's hitting 357. His OPS is 1.209. He has three stolen bases, one caught stealing, nine walks to eight strikeouts. So that's always encouraging. Richie, what do you think of these guys and who's coming up and who's going to provide the most immediate impact? Yeah, we've talked about this in the past. Um, Alex Manoa, I don't know what the what the Blue Jays are waiting for. You're throwing out Nate Pearson, who's going to blow up. We've talked about Anthony Kay having over 10 ERA. Now, he had a good start the last time out. But I think Manoa can be an upgrade over both of those pitchers. Uh, I don't see what they're waiting for. Um, it should be noted that the Blue Jays also have another pitcher in AAA, Chase DeYoung, who's got more strikeouts 22 strikeouts in 14 innings but he does have a four or five era so they've got some people in waiting i'm wondering if they're just kind of waiting to see who's uh gonna blossom more what appears to be manoa but vidal brujan he just reminds me of somebody who's gonna be fun to watch um after his first week in the minors he tweeted out hey look my i did good on my report card <laughs> and i just got i just got a chuckle out of that and then Wander Franco, I don't know what they're waiting for. We've talked about this on the side. I mean, the Rays have outstanding players in Joey Wendell and Willie Adamas and Michael Brousseau. So, like, clearly Wander Franco couldn't be better than any of those guys. So, I mean, they're perennial all-stars. Like, I, you, yeah, right. you can't exactly. take them out of the lineup. These yeah, guys they went could, to, could go to the Hall of Fame. To, they went to the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who don't know, I'm being completely sarcastic. Uh, Wander Franco is clearly an upgrade over all three of those players. Put him at short. You can shift Adames over to second. I think he's got a few minor league options left, so you can send him down. He's batting below 200, unless that's changed over the past couple days. Vidal Brujan, I don't see them bringing up this year unless Joey Wendell really slumps. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, and it's frustrating because I know from the Rays organization, they probably don't want to bring both of these young studs up, right? 
Bruhan is 23. As we kind of talked about off air, he's been in the minor leagues for five or six years. It looks like he's finally ready to come up and play major league baseball. But the fear is if you put Franco at third, which he's been playing more third at Durham. So clearly I think they're showing their hand. They're going to keep Adamas, who is a plus plus defender at short. But if you bring Franco up and put him at third, and then you bring Bruhan up and play him at second, that is a lot of youth in your infield. So I kind of see that, but I don't understand why you don't just bring them both up and you just rotate them, right? You've got Wendell, you've got Adamus, you'd have Frank, Franco and Brujan. Like you can make sure that you still have a veteran presence. I just think it's irresponsible organizational management. Well, the other thing I'm wondering too is we saw it with the Low Lau brothers. Um, I don't even know if they're brothers actually, but when they got brought up, they used Brandon Lau Low in a utility role and he didn't really get a lot of full-time playing when he got up. So I'm wondering if they're wondering, like, let's leave him down in AAA so that they can get full exposure every single day as opposed to, you know, sitting on the bench yeah. coming in to, to, you know, pinch hit or pinch run. Um, and then the other thing with Bruhan is how much of this power is for real? He's got five home runs, and I think all of 2019 he had, what was it, seven or eight home runs? I could be wrong on that, but it was definitely less than 10. So is this power for real? Did he start eating his Wheaties over the past couple of years? Who knows? Well, again, you know, Urias, when he was still with San Diego, he had that season in the AAA with the high elevation and you know we were watching him kind of closely because he i think he had 19 home runs but he had like 12 in one month and we were like holy cow like he was always a glove first prospect right like he was always the guy that was defensive heavy had a decent average always hit above 300 but in that season he exploded and you see him now with milwaukee he doesn't have any power right and yes there was a different ball back then too but when i watch bruhan He's getting great contact. He's barreling the ball. And, you know, it's it's those perfect perfects on the show. Like, he's just nailing the ball. It's going to be a much different circumstance when he gets to the major leagues. And uh, Nate and Brandon are not brothers, but Nate and his brother Josh, who is also in the minor leagues for the Tampa Bay Rays, are actually brothers. Josh Lau is a center fielder. He was actually drafted first round, while Nate was taken uh, more than a few rounds after. So they had three Laos, or Lows, however you want to pronounce the name, on their team before Nate Lowe was traded. Yeah, I guess they just like the Lows and Laos. <laughs> All right, let's move along. Let's get, hear about two or three more uh, players that you want to touch on. Yeah, I'm going to list a few off here real quick. Um, Israel Pineda for Washington, he's a catching prospect, hit his first multi-homer game this past week. Pretty exciting. I think he'll be a name we watch for in the next couple of years to provide a fantasy impact with the bat. Esteban Floral for the Yankees, 23-year-old. He is a formerly very hyped prospect, someone me and you know very well. He currently has four home runs in the minors. I was reading an article this week that the Yankees will probably use him for a trade chip later in the season because in all reality, their outfield is pretty solidified. Uh, obviously, if they lose Aaron Hicks, that might be a little bit different. Moving on for another Yankees prospect, Trevor Hauver for the Yankees. This is low A. He's a former Arizona State product who played in the outfield at Arizona State. But the Yankees drafted him as a second baseman and are playing him at second. Five games, hitting 556 with an OPS of 1.611 and six home runs. Clearly, he doesn't need to be in low A. This is a college bat. He's ready for double A. 
you know, move him up. But the guy is literally playing like this is wiffle ball, and he's just jacking home runs. Very impressive so far. Jesus Sanchez is the next. This is going to be a Marlins AAA prospect, formerly of the Rays, traded over to Miami. He is playing pretty well this season in six games. He's hitting 556 with three home runs. Kind of going back to the Yankees, Luis Medina, 21-year-old, has nine games, excuse me, two games, nine innings, 15 strikeouts in high A. Also looks like he might be ready for a promotion. And finishing off this small list, we have Jordan Walker, who was drafted 21st overall in 2020 by the St. Louis Cardinals. Big, strong body, 6'5", playing at an absolute tremendous level so far this season. He has two home runs in low A, and he's hitting 382. Definitely a fun bat to watch. He will not be major league ready for at least two and a half seasons, but Jordan Walker, definitely a fun talent. Yeah, and Trevor Hauver, absolutely. If you're in college, I don't know why they would start you at low A, especially when you're killing it. At least start him at high A, double A. I think this is somebody who's going to rise through the ranks, might get to triple A by the end of the year. Somebody we'll see maybe down the line. Jesus Sanchez, I'm excited for. It'll be interesting to see if he gets brought up this year and if he can translate this over to the majors. They kind of have a youth movement with Jazz Chisholm coming up. I know Isan Diaz has been playing, so the Marlins have not shied away from bringing up their young guns, so this is somebody we could see by the end of the year. Yeah, and Sanchez has been major league ready, quote-unquote, for the last, say, two years. I remember when he was with Tampa a few years ago, he looked ready then. And obviously in the Tampa organization, they're very inclined to keep guys down. They moved him over to Miami. If he continues to perform well over the next, say, half a month or month, I do expect him to be brought up. And then shortly after, you're going to have that youth movement in full effect. Absolutely. I'm excited for that. All right, let's move along to the next set of prospects you want to talk about. Yeah, so as forementioned, Michael Bush for the Dodgers, hitting 277 in AAA. He has five home runs. He is predominantly a second baseman, but with Seager's injury, they could easily move Lux over, who is struggling, but hit his first home run of the year a couple days ago. Kind of looks like he's getting his swagger back. Michael Bush might be able to fill in in a utility role or at second, depending on where Chris Taylor falls into that lineup. Floral, as we talked about earlier, had four home runs. Very exciting, but he is hitting, I think, 224 or 229. Tristan Casas in double A is hitting 341 with three home runs. Big time prospect to watch from the first base perspective for Boston. Brian Ray for the Reds, 23-year-old in high A. Another circumstance where a guy lost a year of playing time because of COVID last year. So a 23-year-old at high A just kind of seems like he's playing outside of his talent pool. He's got six home runs, OPS of 1.467 in 40 at-bats. It's kind of just outstanding numbers. We'll see him move through the minors pretty quickly this year. For uh, the Brewers, we have Corey Howell, 22 at a ball as well. Again, you know, 22 year old in A ball can say it all the time. 41 at bats, four home runs, a 1.059 OPS. Tearing the cover off the ball, I expect to see him in double A soon. And finally, we have a 20 year old in high A, so kind of the age range where you want to see these guys. Oswald Peraza for the Yankees. Again, this Yankee system just tearing the cover off the ball. 43 at bats, five home runs hitting 349 with an OPS of 1.173. I don't know much about Peraza, but those numbers really jumped off the plate for me. 
What about you, Richie? Yeah, I'm definitely interested in Michael Bush. He's just an overall solid player. MLB gives him a 55 grade almost across the board for his hit power. Um, he's a little slower um, with the 45 grade run, but hey, that can translate. If you got the hit tool, almost everything else can uh, be surrounded around that. Um, Tristan Casas, he started off slow. Um, he's starting to pick it up a little bit. Uh, I don't think we'll see him this year, but definitely has the power. We've talked about this before, how he reminds us of a more polished um, Bobby Dahlbeck. Um, so definitely could replace him, maybe less strikeouts. Um, another prospect that comes to mind, actually, now that we're talking about the Red Sox, is Jaron Duran, um, outfielder. Um, he's developing some power in the minors, so he might get the call. And then while we're talking about it, somebody who I've been kind of high on who's been slumping a little bit so far is Jeter Downs. So far in the minors, he's only got a 220 average with one home run. With Enrique Hernandez injured right now, I thought for sure he'd make a strong case to come up this year, but he doesn't look like he's ready. I don't think we'll see him at all this year. What do you think, Matt, about Jeter Downs and Jaron Duran? It'll be interesting to see if this Red Sox team can continue to play at the high level that they are. They currently have the highest percentage of runs and batted in runs, so RBIs with runners in scoring position, with two outs. So very impressive with their clutch. Uh, they're going to need an offensive rejuvenation midseason, though. I don't expect this team to continue to hit the way they are. So I could see maybe Jeter Downs coming in and playing second base or Duran coming in and coming off the bench. It'll be really interesting to see how the Red Sox handle these two young talent. I agree. I agree. It will be interesting to see what the Red Sox do. They are in the hunt. Um, they got a great record right now, so we'll see. Last one I wanted to touch on is Hunter Green, obviously a big-time arm talent out of the Cincinnati Reds organization. And he's been playing very well to start the season. Coming back from Tommy John, he's no longer batting. He was a two-way player out of high school out of Notre Dame High School in California. And this season in itself, he's also playing well again. Two wins. He has a 2-7 ERA. Pretty impressive to start the year. 10 innings and 15 strikeouts. His last performance, he, tr he struck out 10 batters. I think Hunter Green could definitely make an appearance in the Reds' bullpen this season. I think best-case scenario, though, they hold him off until next year, kind of keep him in that starter's role. Big name, obviously. He's a 20-year-old. Richie, what are your thoughts on Hunter Green? Yeah, I absolutely love the fastball. Uh, it's just a matter of can he develop those second pitches and can he control it. Uh, the thing I would agree with you about him coming up and making the Reds bullpen, the only issue is that he is coming off Tommy John, so I don't think he'll have the, the workload to make it that far. If they were to bring him up, it'd be near the end of the year um, in August or September when it doesn't really count towards um, their – contract kicker if you will um so i just don't think we'll see him this year it doesn't make sense for him to for them to rush it they've got uh, enough pitchers in their arsenal but who knows maybe we'll see him yeah we'll see and then last one i'm sorry i have one more i keep stumbling across guys in my notes mm -hmm. greg jones 23 year old also for the rays an absolute freak talent with the glove is playing for the rays in high a this year he had a walk-off grand slam just the other night. He has two home runs on the season. He's batting 455. 
Greg Jones has been a prospect underneath the fantasy radar because of his glove. He's very highly touted with that glove, but you're starting to see the offense come through. And it will be interesting to see if we can watch him kind of rise through the minors. They're going to have a lot of infield talent, and they're not going to have a lot of places for everyone. They've also got Xavier Edwards, formerly of the Padres, who is also in their minor league system. So they've got a, a plethora of talent in that middle infield spot. Yeah, and there's one more player I want to mention, uh, and that's Spencer Howard. Not necessarily a prospect anymore, but he got sent back down to AAA. He's had shoulder issues the past couple of years. As it sits right now, he's got nine innings with 13 strikeouts, a 1-0 ERA with a .89 whip. The issue is, is he has five walks. So I feel like this is just a guy we, we get excited about, and then he just doesn't deliver um, at the major league level. He just dominates AAA but can't get it done at the next level. But who knows, maybe we'll see. I'd like to see those walks go down, but somebody to keep an eye on. Well, we've talked about this a lot. This was a Corbin Burns issue, right? Corbin Burns had his rookie season where he pitched out of the bullpen and was phenomenal. Came back the following year and sputtered heavily with that ERA. I think it was like in the nines. Sent him back down to AAA, dominates. So with Howard, it might just be a fact that he's not ready. He doesn't know how to use the right pitch mix. He's not comfortable against major leaguers. Maybe the confidence is lacking. I think Howard, probably at that age 25, 26, as we often like to see, might have a breakout. But you're right. As of right now, I'm just not interested. Debbie Garcia outdueled him today. And, you know, I think Debbie's another guy that is a little better off in a big league rotation, but also just not fully ready yet. And the expectation for these 22, 23-year-olds to come up and perform at a high level I think is just unfair. We've seen a lot of success out of certain players, and so that success translates to expectation for other players. And we've got to give them time. Let them pitch in AAA. Let them find their groove, much as Corbin Burns did. And then you can see them come up and actually dominate the way they're supposed to when their age permits. Other than that, those are all the prospects I really want to highlight here. Are there any other ones you want to talk about before we wrap up the show, Matt? No, I did want us to just kind of go over a brief introduction of the players that performed well this week. Um, I do have a few noted here. Freddie Peralta pitched 13 innings with a win, 16 strikeouts. It looks like Freddie Peralta, who falls in that bag of Howard, of Spencer Howard, of Debbie Garcia, you know, had three or four years where he just couldn't be the starter Milwaukee wanted him to. And now, boom. He's the guy, right? Like, this is the Freddy Peralta that we saw against Colorado in his first start where he struck out, I think it was 13 batters. And we were all like, oh, my God, is this guy for real? Well, 2021, he is for real. What are your thoughts on Freddy? Yeah, we've talked about it in the past, but ever since he developed those secondary offerings and he just didn't have three different versions of his fastball that had a little different bite at the end, I think it gives the hitters something to be afraid of other than that fastball and they have to keep in the back of their mind, are they going to get those secondary offerings or is it just going to be a fastball coming down the middle? And so I think that really throws them off and I think um, this is legit and, and as you know, somebody who I wish I would have on my team. Yeah, Milwaukee's three-headed monster of Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta. It, it's fun to watch. They don't have any offense with Yelich being out, but these three pitchers are, are it's a sight to see. Milwaukee hasn't had three good ones in, in my entire lifetime. So moving along, Aaron Judge has finally figured it out. 12 for 21 this week, five home runs. He absolutely destroyed the Orioles this weekend. 
So it's a little unfair because that is the Orioles. But that was an incredible performance. Moving along, we finally saw a Kyle Tucker breakout. 10 for 25, 3 home runs, 7 RBIs, 9 total runs. A great week for Tucker. It's only a matter of time until he's truly a staple in that outfield mix for top 10. Uh, Hanner also, as you had mentioned, kind of the top, one of the top performers in the outfield, had another great week, 7 for 21, 4 home runs. You know, it, it's always been with Hanner. Can he stay healthy? Vladdy was 9 for 25 with 4 home runs. So I think it's official. I think Vladdy has found his stroke. Uh, especially his home run stroke and maybe that launch angle. What do you think about Vladdy, Richie? Yeah, I I thought he was going to pop next year. I, apparently I was wrong. It's this year. I think uh, losing a lot of weight has to do with it. I think, I think over the shortened season and him doing so bad, I think it motivated him um, that he needs to live up to expectations and you know, deliver on that five-star prospect. And uh, he seems to be delivering right now. I think uh, this time next year we're talking about him as a late first-round, early second-round pick. Um, and I don't see any reason to doubt it from here on out unless he starts eating and gets back to his old weight. No, and I mean, that it, it sounds like that's a joke and it's kind of a, like a little bit of a stab in the back to Vladi, but that's 100% true, right? Does he get complacent? Does he fall away from his health habits that have led him to success. I hope not. I hope, if anything, it motivates him that this is the way that you need to handle yourself as a professional athlete and to be relevant. Uh, Okay, moving along, Alex Wood, another phenomenal week. 13 innings, two wins, two runs, 13 strikeouts. You know, I hate to say it, but in my mind, it's only a matter of time before Alex Wood has a two-month injury. That seems to be the track record. And if not, we saw this one other time in his career where he was relevant the entire season. What are your thoughts on Alex Wood? Yeah, I want to believe. I feel like I've been down this road one too many times where I'm like, oh, he's on the Dodgers. He's going to be great. And then, you know, I get all hyped for him and then he has an injury or he blows up or, you know, he's just too inconsistent. Um, But he does carry relief pitcher eligibility. So in those head-to-head points league, that is a diamond in the rough. Um, Anytime you can get a starter to place as a reliever, I think that automatically puts them into the top 15 discussion as long as they're halfway decent. Um, they can get you a quality start and a win. That's probably more than anybody outside the top 15. That's a true reliever will get you. Yeah, I fully agree. Uh, I've got one last one I want to mention. I actually was able to watch most of his start yesterday. That's Tyler Malley for Cincinnati. Malley's been a guy that we've talked about on previous podcasts. He's been a guy that both Richie and I have watched but he really, really impressed me. Obviously, pitching in Colorado is never an environment that you look for one of your fantasy pitchers to thrive in. I think Malley had 68 pitches going into the sixth inning. He had a leadoff triple. I'm thinking, okay, here it is. It's a 2-2 game. He's going to give up the run, and this is going to be an issue. Malley was able to pitch out of the inning without allowing the run to cross the plate. He had a truly dominant performance, at least in a way of control within his body language. He looked like he was out there, and he looks like, to me, in certain starts, he is developing himself slowly into an ace in the way that he carries himself. And that is a huge thing for aces. It's a huge thing for these pitchers that pitch at a high level. It's watching them and how they carry themselves when they're in jams. Also, how they hold themselves to a pitch count. Malley was incredible in Colorado at minimizing wasted pitches, and I I truly think that we could see a breakout outside of maybe pitching in Cincinnati in that ballpark. It's always going to be a bit of a concern, 
What are your thoughts this week on Tyler Malley? Yeah, I'm, I was a Tyler Malley believer for the past two years, but he disappointed me. He'd have those stretches where he does great, and that's kind of uh, playing the role for me again this year. You know, he had the stretch against the Diamondbacks and Dodgers where he only allowed one run and had a bunch of strikeouts, and then he had a, a plunker against the Cubs for five innings. He gave up six runs, but then after, you know, one run to the Pirates, and as you mentioned, just two runs to the Rockies. So I see him as being one of those guys where he's just going to string together two, three good starts and then just have have a dud in between, and he has that ace potential. But I think that those inconsistencies of quality start after quality start is what will hold him back. And now don't get me wrong, I still think he can be somewhere in that top 20 to 40 range depending on how inconsistent or consistent he is. Um, so... That's kind of just my general feel on him. Yeah, and, and you bring up an interesting point. I think when we look back on box scores, it's hard for us to gauge the game. I watched Carlos Rodon start yesterday, didn't have his best stuff, had a couple pitches that should have been strikeouts, and the umpire you know, just missed, missed the call. Then he gave up an outside fastball home run to Salvador Perez, which, to Salvi's credit, should not have hit it out. I mean, this was an incredible play. You know, Rodon's a little bit you know shaken, Let's up a couple more hits. I think there was a hit and an error, actually. Gets out of the inning without any more damage. Ends up the game with a 5 and one third pitching performance. Over 100 pitches and 4 runs. But when I look back on that, I just see that stat line. I don't see the fact that he never should have given up the home run. That it was a good pitch. You know, so it's like, okay, you look at that and you're like, ah, maybe he had a blow-up game. In my eyes, it was a fantastic game by Rodon. So it's hard sometimes unless you're watching these games. And I feel like this season, me and you have really been on that. And I'm definitely starting to cater my belief and my look towards these players based on what I'm actually seeing in person. And it's definitely at least helped from my own pickup and trade perspective. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing, though, with Rodon is that we knew he had back and hamstring injuries going into the start and originally was pushed back to Saturday. So I kind of give him a pass for that one. I just hope that he can stay healthy. This does give me a, a yellow flag, not a red flag, but a yellow flag of his long-term injury. Um, but then again, you know, this could just be the White Sox saying, oh, you have a, your back is a little sore because you woke up on the wrong side today. You know, we're going to push you back because we need you at the end of the year rather than the beginning of the year. So, you know, we're going to limit your innings. So it's going to be hard to gauge what are true injuries versus fake injuries like with Corbin Burns said he was on the COVID IL but this year if you have any COVID like symptoms like if you have a stuffy nose you can be eligible for the COVID list so part of me wonders is Corbin Burns truly had COVID or COVID uh, symptoms or if they just did a phantom COVID stint for him Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out throughout the rest of the year and don't get me wrong we'll definitely see more of those throughout the year. Well, yeah, and it's something that an announcer brought up with Devin Williams today. They talked about how he hadn't pitched since Wednesday and how that affects relievers. They need to be more on like a regulated pitching sequence and being in games. It's not just for relievers. It's for pitchers, too. You know, Burns came back and pitched pretty well. Rodon, after being pushed back, 
pitched pretty well for having, quote-unquote, as you said, injuries. My concern, and I want to track this throughout the rest of the year, is how these teams utilize that COVID IL, how they utilize rest, and how it affects these pitchers. Because I think there's just as much risk of future injury by pushing guys back and by really monitoring how many pitches they're throwing. It, it kind of goes both ways, and I think teams are going to do kind of like what Tony La Russa does in Chicago, where it's like, screw it, Rodon, you're out there for 110 pitches. Like, you know, that's how we manage players. You go out there, it's your start. I don't care if your hamstring's tight. Like, you're good to go today. You're you're pitching. And then there are teams like the Rays with Shane McClenahan who are like, okay, you hit 50 pitches. Like, I know you haven't given up a hit, but you're out. <laughs> yeah, but that is something we should definitely monitor and try to find a tracking system uh, for future podcasts and for our listeners to kind of get a feel for how we are analyzing uh, this season and the workload concerns of last year's COVID-ridden season. But I think that will wrap up our podcast for today. Is there anything else you want to say to the listeners before we take off? No, not at all. All right. That will conclude our show. Thank you guys all for listening. And be sure to find us wherever you find your podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you.